Welcome to Women and Manufacturing, where accomplished women interview accomplished women, with your host, Barbara Troutline. Welcome. I'm Dr. Barbara Troutline, Principal and Chief Catalyst at Change Catalyst, home of the CQ system for developing change intelligent leaders and organizations. I'm thrilled to be a host for Women in Manufacturing, along with my amazing co-host. The conversations we're having with exceptional women in STEM fields is mission critical for organizations to ensure all voices are heard and are able to contribute in this time of massive disruption across industries and around the globe. And of course, it's of vital importance to women and girls, and men and boys too, to achieve success in life and work. Please do continue to engage in this conversation by following us online at womenandmfg.com and on Twitter, too. Our conversation today will focus on opportunities for women in manufacturing and engineering, the importance of mentoring and paying it forward, being open to targets of opportunity, and how diversity is all about people with a variety of talents. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Anne Began-Wilson who is a professional engineer and a certified professional constructor. She is the president of Began Paving Company, a fourth-generation family firm specializing in asphalt paving, and Ogden Avenue Metals Incorporated, an asphalt manufacturing plant, both serving Chicagoland. Anne served as president of the American Subcontractors Association, and she is a member of WCOE Chicago Caucus, and of the Construction Engineering and Management Advisory Committee at Purdue University. Anne was awarded the ASCE Outstanding Projects and Leaders Award in Construction in 2017. She was also awarded the Walter Nasher Lifetime Achievement Award by the American Institute of Constructors for her work in promoting professionalism and ethics in the construction industry. Began Paving earned ASA's National Construction Best Practices Award, and she was elected to the National Academy of Construction in 2014, and currently serves as the chair of the board of trustees of Mother Macaulay Liberal Arts High School. Welcome, Anne. Good morning. First of all, to start off with, I was wondering if there's anything you'd like to share with the audience about your background that wasn't covered in your bio that you think would be valuable for us to know about your life and career so far? Um, there's some things that, I mean, obviously when <clears throat> part of uh, the one thing in my bio that doesn't talk, uh, that isn't mentioned too much is um, I joined, when I graduated from college, I went to work for another large um, contractor, got some very valuable experience, um, loved the um, loved working there. Um, originally, it was not my plan um, to come back to um, work in my family business. But as we mentioned, things change, and life changed at the firm I was with, and I felt that it was time to move on and come back and work for um, my father, which, as it turned out, was um, uh, pretty benef- was very beneficial because of the fact that um, I worked for my dad for about two and a half years, and then he um, passed away suddenly, and so I went home. Um, I was chief engineer estimator, and I came home. I came back on, on a Friday, and then I came back on Monday as president. Um, I think that two and a half years that I had spent with my dad was really crucial um, because the construction industry is very much a um, a male-dominated industry, and while there are much more, there are many more opportunities for women now 
30 years ago, um, it was a different place. Um, and so without that time that I had spent with my dad and the opportunity for him to introduce me to our um, service providers and our vendors and some of our customers, I think that that um, the transition from his leadership to mine would have been um, much more challenging. It was challenging enough as it was because the one thing I didn't mention is I was 29 at the time. So, um, and we were a small, you know, we were a small paver. I was lucky I had, my dad had great employees who became wonderful employees of mine. And um, they never uh, blinked an eye about working for a woman. It was a family business and I was family. So, on we on we went, and um, so <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so it, that was the thing that um, I think really helped us, and then we kind of grew slowly and surely, looking for um, targets of opportunity and things that we could um, use our expertise um, to provide benefit to our customer and um, and uh, a good working environment for the people who worked for us. Well, that's a fascinating journey, and even though um, times may have changed and even though not everyone listening will be partnering with their father in the business, I think there still might be some gems of wisdom that you could share about what your father did and what you did in partnership with your father in those two years that you were working together that did position you and set you up for success with the mostly men that you were working with, maybe both inside the firm, but especially, as you said, those um, external stakeholders that you were working with, um, what that was like in terms of, again, um, uh, introductions and working together and, you know, setting you up as, as, a, as a credible uh, business partner. Well, I mean, the first thing I think that helped tremendously, um, obviously, was my education, because it, it, it's amazing the number of times, um, both while my father was alive and even after he had passed, that I would go into a meeting um, with whether it was a superintendent or a project manager, um, and we'd be talking about, you know, how we're going to proceed with the asphalt and what the schedule was and, you know, all the various details that you go through um, before um, you start work on a project, and in the meantime, I was digging around for my card, and as I would pull out my card and I would give it to somebody, and they would say I was a licensed engineer, their, you know, their um, perception of me changed immediately because suddenly mm. I got smarter because I had those two little letters after my name. Mm. So that's why I always encourage people to, um, to make sure that you get those certifications because it really does make a difference to some people. It doesn't make you smarter. It doesn't make you more capable, but it, it, it changes people's perception of you. Um, I think the other thing that really helped when I was working with my dad is he never hesitated to, um, to bring me to important meetings with our um, surety underwriter, with our insurance underwriter, with the bank um, or um, the bonding company. And, um, and he let them know that kind of I was going to be the um, – the next, you know, the next leader, and that I was working in tandem with him. I wasn't just an employee. My father was never afraid or um, challenged by the idea that um, that his children would, you know, make, you know, that they would be the next generation, and that he would have to give up some of his authority or his power. Um, so that was one of the things that I think that was you know, that we were really, I was really blessed by. And I think a lot of it was my dad learned that from, his, from my grandfather because my grandfather did mm. the same thing when my dad and my uncle joined the business. Um, 
you know, so I think sometimes there are too many family businesses where the leader is afraid to let go of part of that power. And, um, and I think the only way you can enable your younger generation to grow and to learn and be prepared to lead when you, when you step down, for whatever reason you step down, if it's, you know, voluntary or like my dad, you know, it was not, um, you need, they, they need to be prepared to take over. And I think those were, that was some of the things that my dad did. And then I was also very lucky is that after my dad, um, after he died, um, there were several women that I met, a couple who were, had been friends that were um, friends with my, had, were friends of my dad from the industry, who kind of took me under their wing and really mentored me and um, helped me to kind of um, gain my own voice um, without my dad, because that was, you know, for so, for those two years, much of what I did in the industry was in conjunction with him. Now I'm on my own. And, um, and that's always kind of a scary place sometimes. So, uh, so they really helped me to, um, to learn to grow and to develop my voice and, and to get more confidence in myself and, um, and in my company and what we had to do and, and how to present myself to the industry. Well, that's wonderful. So, you know, you're sharing some important learnings that are important for, I believe, a family-owned business moving from generation to generation, and I think also more broadly in terms of the whole idea of sponsorship and mentorship. Sounds like your dad really acted like a sponsor for you, positioning you for success. Um, And then also it sounds like these women, you know, actively mentored you in terms of especially some maybe mindsets and behaviors that were critical for you to, um, you know, make make that weekend transition from individual contributor to the president of the company. Um, they really did. And, um, and I think that, you know, my father had learned a lot from, I mean, obviously they were, it was a third generation business. It was a business that had transitioned. My father was active in the business when it transitioned from one industry to the other. Um, we started out originally as a, um, retail coal and oil supplier and actually got into the asphalt business, um, just as a way to keep our trucks busy during the summer. Um, I don't think that when they started that they ever saw that the asphalt business would become, you know, would define who we were, because I don't think at the time anybody ever thought that people would heat with anything besides coal and oil. Mm. And the oil shortages of the 70s change, you know, came, and, and the industry, I mean, it changed overnight. And so we were lucky that we had the asphalt industry to fall back on, and that that became our primary business. And um, so it's a matter of trying to then regrow um, it's probably not a good word, but to regrow the business and um, to develop it in a new industry. And he had, and yeah, he had watched and a lot of other family businesses, some that had succeeded and some that did not. I think he tried to learn from some of those. Right, Successes. well, that's the other important. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I interrupted. You wanted to restate that. Okay, I think that one of the things he also did is as he watched other businesses, whether they were other coal companies that were trying to make the transition or if they were just other family businesses that had, you know, some succeed and some don't. And so um, he tried to learn from their – I think he really tried to learn from their mistakes and, um, and their successes um, on, in trying to um, build, began, and um, position us to continue to be, have the opportunity for success in a fourth generation. Yeah, and again, the whole idea of not just resting on your laurels but continually learning and growing is uh, sounds like another key life lesson and business lesson that you took from your father. And I believe that you have embraced also because you just did not continue down 
the same path you did, but you also significantly expanded the business. So I'd love to hear more about that part of your journey. Well, when we, um, it was actually just 20 years ago, we had, um, I, I had friends who always said, you should buy an asphalt plant. And I was like, I don't want to buy an asphalt plant. It's a lot of money. And we have more than enough um, production capacity in the area as it is. We don't need to put more production capacity into this market. I don't see how that's going to benefit anybody. Um, but then we had um, a um, one of our major producers got into some trouble, and um, they had one of their facilities that was for sale. And so um, actually as a, on a suggestion from both my husband and my general superintendent, um, I, I approached him and said, hey, what do you think if, you, you know, if we bought this plant from you? And um, I, think it came, I don't think they expected it, um, which is part of why I think it worked, the sale worked. Um, and uh, so we went from being just an asphalt contractor to also an asphalt producer. And adding that production capacity 20 years ago has really enabled us to, to significantly grow our business. Um, in terms of the kinds of projects that we can bid, um, because in Illinois, uh, there are pre-qualification requirements um, for certain size projects require you to have production facilities. So, there was, you know, it, was, it opened up a whole new set of um, kinds of um, jobs that we could bid on. And um, so it really helped us to grow. Yeah, so congratulations not only for leading a business that's thriving into its fourth generation, which is a... Uh, you know, unusual feat uh, in and of itself, but also for significantly expanding expanding the business and into these new opportunity areas. Can you share what has been the keys to your success? Um, I think you know. I think one of the, the keys. I always like to think that the keys to my success are is that it's it's not my success. It's our success mm-hmm. because I have been um, I've been truly blessed um, with the people that I um, I work with. Um, I have I have always had um, we have ma- been able to maintain our small family business feel um, even as we've grown, um, which sometimes can be a struggle um, as as you change you know as the um, as the number of people that work for you change. But it was really important to me because I think that was one of the things that was um, a hallmark of the success of Began Coal Company when we you know when my my grandfather and my dad ran that part of the business and it was definitely the way my dad ran the business when he was here. So I have um, I have wonderful people who support each other. Um, we all work together. You know everybody's rowing in the same direction, um, and so that that makes a real key. What I think that that really is the key because if everybody is working together, we can all um, be successful and um, and sh- and share in the success of the business. Well, that is some advice that again would apply, I think, to anyone, men or women, who are uh, business leaders. So um, again, congratulations on that. And I'd like to transition into talking about. What observations you can share for women who, like yourself, do work in male-dominated industries or aspire to, such as manufacturing, construction, engineering in general? Um, I think that um, I think that there is a lot. I think there are tr- tremendous opportunities, and I think that the one thing that we have to remember, especially in industries that have not traditionally um, been welcoming to women, or women have not traditionally um, sought out opportunities in those businesses that um, that this is it, it's going to be a little foreign for some of the people that work there and I think it's one of those that you need to um, take a look at how they do business 
And um, and some of it is, is as silly as this may sound, in the as an example in the construction industry, um, golf is a big deal. The men love to play golf, and um, you don't have to be a good golfer, but you just need to be there. And it's amazing the contacts that you can make. Um, you know riding around in a golf cart with um with colleagues and vendors and um and sometimes even uh competitors um just as you um uh, and t to become more accepted in the industry i think it's really important i think sometimes um when women come in into an industry they think that everything's going to change because they're there and nothing changes that fast. And I think that um, I do think that the people who are in the industry will appreciate your efforts to um, to try and um, grasp some of their traditions and not change, not completely change. Change hard, change is hard, you know, for all of us. Um, you know, I like to say change is my friend, and I think if I say it long enough, I'll actually believe it. But the reality <laughs> is, is that. You know, change is hard for everybody, whether it's individuals or industries. And so, as the um, the, com the com uh, complexity or the complexion of different industries begin to change, um, all of their habits aren't going to change immediately. And so, if you can, you know, take some of the little things that they like to do and still be part of it, I think that it, it gets you um, accepted a little bit faster. And, um, and it is amazing because I still one of the stories I still remember when we first bought our asphalt plant was I we happened to play golf with my, my banker invited us to play golf and I was like sure we'll go and um, I am not a very good golfer but it's really interesting he said he can learn more about his clients on a golf course than in a three hour meeting mm. so that taught me that it's something that you know golf isn't just something fun to do it it also tells you a little bit about your personality and how you deal with um adversity um and uh and you can see that in the other people that you're working with so i thought that was i thought that was a really interesting insight that he had, he shared with me that is a really interesting insight and, and thank you so much for sharing it with the audience um you know and again your points about change that's that's exactly right i think that uh you know in your industry and in the industries of probably anyone who's listening change is just um, a concept, uh, excuse me, restate, change is a constant, and it's not slowing down anytime soon. It's, it's increasing in pace, scope, and complexity, and again, we need to be intelligent and smart in how we deal with the changes, and I say when I talk about developing our change intelligence that so much of it is about being aware of our style and our impact and being able to adapt so we can more effectively partner and work together uh, with the people that we are um, engaging for in change. So, uh, so that's the great real world in the trenches advice, Anne, that you're sharing. Um, and, you know, I, I'd love to hear you say more about what's in it for women to follow that advice. Um, I loved your comment that sometimes we can expect others to accommodate to us. Um, what's in it for, you know, women to really kind of adapt and to accommodate to some of that, as you said, even maybe, you know, simple uh, traditions that have been historically the norm. Well, I think what's in it for women is I think that they become more, they, they become part of the industry. They don't have to change who they are or, or how, how we are. But, um, but I do think that um, as you become part of the industry, the way that women do, um, do business, that's, it's sometimes very different from men. Um, 
that we can change in a much more subtle way. And, um, and we can introduce those changes by being accepted by everyone else as they start to see how we're doing business and our success. Um, and uh, so I, I, th that's what I see is it just gives you an opportunity for a lot of people to um, be introduced to a different way of doing business without completely changing everything um, about what they do. You know, if golf is a big part, you know, and I, I, go, I guess I, I keep going back to golf because I know, it, especially in the construction industry, I've got some women who say, why is it they always want to play golf? And I was like, because that's the way they do business, and that's the way they've done business for a long time, and change is hard. And so as we go back to now we're, there are more women in the industry, this is a big change for them. You can't also ask them to give up the golf game and their go and the way they net, you know, that they traditionally network, especially during the the off season or in the summertime. So if you can be a part of that, then I think that there are, there are other changes that you're looking for that will slowly over time um, become uh, more part of the norm in your industry. And you might actually like golf too. <laughs> I know I <laughs> exactly. Do, so. Well, and you don't like I said. And the best part about it is. You don't have to be good because here's the big news flash: they aren't. They just think they are. <laughs> That's great. That's wonderful. Perfect. Well, and on the flip side, how have you seen your industry and others evolve over time to become even more open to diverse talent, including women? Well, I think there is um, there is just a general. Um, I think there's a general acceptance in most industries that uh, diversity brings um, a lot a lot of advantages. It brings different points of view. It brings, um, uh, you know, a different way of looking at things, a different um, challenge. And I think if we become too siloed in our thinking, then we will, that, that is not going to be, we are not going to be successful in this um, ever-changing world. Um, you know, as, not to go back to, you know, constantly go back to that change theory, but, uh, you know, with, techno with technology, this, um, the addition of technology, things are changing um, at such a rapid pace that um, you need to have more and more. You have the, the more new and different inputs and ideas that you can have. I think helps a business to stay um, current and um, and keep them as competitive as possible. And I think that that's where and and you need to have people with different backgrounds and uh, different points of view. Uh, that are constantly giving you those new ideas so that you can stay on top of things. And I think if we're all exactly the same, we're going to all get the same ideas and we're not, um, we're not going to be open to those opportunities that may present themselves in this, you know, vastly changing technological and economic world. No, great insights. And what do you think still needs to change in our organizations and especially in your industry from your perspective? So much has changed. Um, the drivers, like you said, just more diverse entrance to the workforce, the pace of technology, everything happening with our economy. Uh, what work do you think still needs to be done? Well, I think particularly for women, I do think that there are still people in um, – Particularly in my industry, but I don't think that I'm. Uh, I, I don't think construction is unique in this. That uh, you know, people are still. They're still looking at kind of a 19th century model sometimes okay. in terms of how they deal with women, whether um, uh, how they deal with um, uh, just people. And I think you're looking at more flexible schedules. You're looking at. Um, 
you know, more people who are having to deal with children. I think that um, particularly even um, men are looking at more flexibility for child care and things like that that used to be considered women's issues. And I think these are just now uh, more we are looking at them as family issues. And I do think that as we continue the um, the, the kind of two-career household, regardless of what economic or uh, socioeconomic, you know, um, group you may fall into, I still think that, you know, the current economy says you're looking at um, two career households. There are very few people who can, you know, live on one career. So I think that you have more men um, who are also more willing to have women who are working with them. I think there was a time when we had women in the industry, particularly when we had women in the trades, that, you know, somebody would say, well, why does she have a job? There's, you know, this guy needs a job, you know, to support his family. Well, you don't know this woman. She's supporting her family, too. And so I think that there's more a um, an acknowledgement that we all come to work, we all have um, bills to pay, and um, a family of what, you know, whether they're children or parents or whatever that we're supporting, and that um, your gender does not identify who needs to do that. Absolutely. And you talked a lot about the next generation of women and entering the workforce in both men and women. And I know you've done a lot to mentor, uh, especially women and girls, entering the workforce. So can you tell us a little bit about your work in that regard and what you see as some of the critical success factors and the importance of doing so? Well, one of the things I think we need to continue to do is um, I, I really believe in paying it forward because there were so many women who helped me, um, and men, men and women who helped me to get where I am. And I, so I think it's really important to look to the next generation and help them too, but also to remind them that the opportunities that they have are there because we're, I mean, we're standing on the shoulders of somebody who came before us. And I think we really need to um, to acknowledge that. And um, and so I one of the things that I do, um, obviously, I talked about um, I, you mentioned in my bio, I'm chair of the board of trustees at Mother Macaulay High School, which is a um, a women's an all women's high school on the south side of Chicago. And um, a lot of what I do there, I mean, it's a great opportunity for women to learn um, uh, leadership skills because you know, every team captain is a woman. Every, you know, president of a, a club is a woman. Um, the student council president is a woman. So they get lots of leadership opportunities um, at an early age. Um, and I think that that's really important and will help them as they move forward in their career, whether they pick a non-traditional career um, like engineering, which is one of the, because it's close to my heart, I'm always encouraging, or if they go, a, you know, a more traditional route. Either way, I think those leadership skills are really key. And the other thing that I've done is I also serve on the advisory board at Purdue um, for the construction engineering and management program. And one of the things that I, I, I work with um, a group of our alums, our women alums, have set up a mentoring program for our women students. And um, and it's this may sound silly, but if you're going on a, to a construction site, they don't generally tell you what to wear or what's important. And it's, so we meet with these young women and, you know, to let them know what's appropriate and inappropriate clothing, what's, you know, appropriate or inappropriate to ask. What are the questions you need to be asking as you move forward? And it's a kind of a safe place for them to ask questions and know that nobody's going to laugh at them and, um, and somebody's going to give them honest answers. And it's one of the things that I 
really appreciate because I, when I started, there was nobody to ask those questions to. And so I didn't always make the right decisions. And, um, and so I think that that's, it's just important because I think that also helps them when they go on the job to be better accepted and to, um, to, you know, see how things are really going to be and for people to know, you know, to take them more seriously when they show up on the job. I love that because I can completely relate. I remember the first time I showed up at one of the steel mills that I worked with back in the day, I wore a skirt. And it was actually a secretary, as we used to say, secretaries back in the day, that pulled me aside and said, did somebody tell you to wear that? Or you might want to consider wearing some jeans. So I would have definitely appreciated showing up in a different way. So that's, well, uh, that's fabulous. I mean, I, one of the things that I always remember is my first field assignment that I had, you know, Work started at 7 o'clock, so I showed up at 5 to 7. And I did this for probably a week or two weeks, and then a guy pulled me aside and said, you know, you really need to be here at 6.30. And I was like, okay, but they told me 7 o'clock. And he said, I understand that, but everybody comes about 6.30, and they do this, they do this. It's kind of like a prep, half-hour prep thing. I was like, okay. And I, so I came at 6.30 from then on. But it's like nobody ever told me that. And so those are the kind of examples that we let the women know. You know, ask what time, not, not what time work actually starts, but what time does everybody get there? That's what's important because you don't want people to think that you're, you know, that you're late, but you're just doing what you're told. And especially when you're a student, you really have no idea, you know. Um, and it's, you know, do you need steel-toed boots or not steel-toed boots? Um, you know, are there, you know, some, depending on if you're working in a steel mill, some of them require long sleeves. It could be 90 degrees, but they want long sleeves. So, you know, some of those additional safety requirements. And those are just some of the questions. You know, we really provide, try to provide these young women with just a list of questions to ask. Or for some of us, we already have that information and we can, you know, we can give them what we think is, our, you know, what's the best thing. Here's a safe answer. If it's, if it's something different once you get there, you know, you can kind of look around and see what everybody else is wearing. And if um, it's almost that you're better to be overdressed than underdressed kind of thing. Um, you can always well, that's adjust. wonderful because it is – yeah, no, that's wonderful because it is almost like going to a new country sometimes, right? And, mm -hmm. uh, and to have a translator to help you really understand because there's always rules uh, and then there's norms. And to really understand what the norms are, uh, I can imagine that there's a lot of uh, – uh, especially – being new, like you said, being a student, being female, feeling different on a lot of different dimensions, being young, uh, feeling alone. I can imagine just uh, that that might be a, a critical role that, that you've played and the other women in the advisory board have played uh, for some of the women as you mentor them. Just that idea that they can, again, have a, a translator, a sounding board, and maybe just not feel so alone. Well, it is, especially since um, the, one of the other things that's changed is that over the 40 years of the program and as it's grown is it, in the early days, you know, most of the internships were generally in the Indiana, northern Illinois area. Now they're all over the country. A lot of these young women are away from home. And for a lot of them, it's, they're away from home. For, and the same for the young men, too. They're away from home for the very first time. And so it's nice to have somebody to call and ask questions to, that is that aren't your parents because a lot of times if you call your parents they're just going to get worried and so it's it's somebody to bounce bounce it you know whatever that issue is off of and you know and sometimes it's not a big deal sometimes it is and um but but more importantly it's just it's it's a, a safe sounding board is what we're trying to provide for these young women and it's up to you know and it's up to them to take advantage of it but um we've found i don't know we've probably been doing it 
I think about five years now, and it's been, um, I think it's been really helpful. I think a lot of the young women have found it really helpful. So it doesn't even make a difference. The funny thing is, is it doesn't make a difference if the people they're talking to be the same age as their parents, but they're not. So, you know, it's kind of a, it's, um, it's not even an age thing. It's just, it's a safe place to talk to people that, um, that can give you some realistic advice that isn't necessarily covered colored by um you know that parental worry and um trying to take care of your kids right and also just probably a lot of their parents may not have walked in your shoes in terms of really understanding the industry and um, things like that so there's probably again both the kind of content of what you're the tangible content of what you can help mentor them about and then there's also to say more the maybe the more intangible um you know process uh um, growth kind of issues, so uh, so I'm sure that on both sides it's uh, it's very important. And one thing I did want to do is is going back to your work with some of the high school girls. Um, it's uh, you know important. You talked a lot about helping them see the value of stepping up and taking on leadership roles. And you also talked about briefly your encouragement of them to consider engineering as a field. Uh, what can you say on that front in terms of uh, maybe girls who are listening that, that might be considering engineering or might not because of maybe some of the perceptions or stereotypes they have in the field. What do you talk to girls about in terms of the field of engineering in general and construction? Well, the thing I think about um, engineering is it is such a great um, stepping off place. I think for most people, you know, they they see, you know, engineering in the um the very traditional roles whether it's a, it's a you know, a, a bridge builder or um or or building a building which are are very key and very important and, you know, it's part of what I love to do. But there are so many other things that you could do with an engineering degree. Um you can go into, te- you know, whether it's technical sales and um and every different um and the number the wide variety of engineering that's out there that most um, young people don't know about is just amazing. And, and one of the things, not to give a plug for my school, but one of the things that I loved about Purdue, and I still love about Purdue, is that when the students come in as freshmen, they're all freshman engineers. Now, they may say they're in civil or mechanical or electrical, but they're really, you know, you're, they're really part of um, freshman engineering. And one of the things that they do is all the different engineering disciplines as part of one of their freshman classes come in, you know, over a period of a semester and basically say, hey, this is what we do. This is civil engineering. This is construction engineering. This is mechanical engineering. Here's the kind of work. Here are the kind of jobs you might expect. And I, so I think it introduces students to a lot of um, different, you know, different ideas, and they may end up going in a different direction than they originally thought they were going to just because they didn't know it existed. And so those are the kinds of things that I really try to encourage the students to do. And the other thing that when I'm talking to women, to young women, especially, you know, if you're a sophomore or junior, one of the things that I did, or my, I should say my parents did for me, when I mentioned that I was interested in engineering is they found like a a, a weekend program that I could go to at a local univer- at a university to just see a little bit more about what engineering is. And it was really helpful to me. And um, most of the schools will, you know, have that, whether it's, you know, Illinois or Purdue or, you know, um, Bradley or, you know, any, almost all the engineering schools have those. 
And I think it's a really great opportunity. It doesn't necessarily mean that that school's right for you, but it does give you a, a better feel as a younger person what engineering is and what the opportunities are. And the other things that, that I've seen, especially at some of the women's schools, as they increase their um, STEM curriculum, is that a lot of them have a pre-engineering class. And again, it's the, the whole idea is just engineering is one of those kind of fuzzy things that nobody really knows what it is. And, um, and so it introduces, it can introduce students to a whole variety of what things are. I mean, even last year we did, we worked with um, Regina Dominican uh, High School, which is a, a women's high school up in Wilmette. And they came down um, to our asphalt plant. And we took these girls on a tour of the plant and showed them all the different things that we do and how we do it. And it was, it was, you know, they were fascinated because it was a lot more complicated than they thought. And um, they learned a lot just in that one day. And I think for some of them, it sparked that, you know, I don't know that I want to be a construction engineer, but I really like working with materials or that, that part of that working with materials might be really interesting. I might, you know, look into that more, you know, into that more. So I thought, I thought that part of it was, um, was really satisfying. It worked out really well. So I think, and I that's think wonderful. that's part of how you can do those, do those things to young people because I think, I, I just think people don't understand so much of what we do, and um, some of it's just as simple as, you know, whether it's a shadow day or, you know, like I said, we did a, a simple tour for ten girls. Right. So that's wonderful advice for the girls themselves in terms of really understanding how broad engineering is and making something that can seem kind of fuzzy much more tangible. And I think it's also great advice for educators and parents that there are uh, maybe so many more opportunities out there, either at the high school level or that are offered by colleges that students can take advantage of. And also just another opportunity to pay it forward for people like yourself who um, run businesses or who are in leadership positions in businesses to invite um, girls in and to actually get a, a real real world taste of what the uh, what the world is like, what the business is like. So thank you for that advice. Um, oh, you're and welcome. Speaking of advice, Anne, you've already given us so many great insights. And as we uh, close our show today, I was wondering if there's a key message that you would like to leave our audience with, or asked another way, if there's a challenge or action step that you would pose for our listeners today. Well, I think the, the key thing for me is that um, we have to continue to be open to um, an increased diversity in our workforce. And I think we also have to, as we bring that increased work, um, diversity in the workforce, I think we also have to all be respectful of the people who come to work with us and, some of, and the traditions that they bring with them. And um, I, I think that that's to me, is the one real key as we continue to, to diversify our workforce and the way, you know, so that some of our workforce starts to look more like um, the people that we, you know, the, the people in the areas that we live, um, that I do think that we ha we all have to be respectful of the different places that people came from. And then I think as we learn more about each other, um, we, can st we can start to work together in a more collaborative way. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much, Anne, for sharing your inspiring story, your personal journey, and also for paying it forward with some tangible advice for our listeners. And finally, for taking the time to engage in this vital conversation with us today. Well, you're welcome, and thank you very much for inviting me.
And finally, thank you to you, our audience, for joining this conversation. In addition to this, the call to action from Anne and the advice she shared, please do continue to stay tuned and engage with us at womenandmanufacturing.com. That's womenandmfg.com online and at Twitter as well. Till next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to Women and Manufacturing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.